Let's jump into scripture. If you got your Bibles, open to 2 Peter chapter 3 and Genesis 39. 2 Peter chapter 3 and then Genesis 39. We will jump back in and talk about Joseph where we were before Christmas. Uh, and uh, this is a really great lesson to take notes on as the first lesson of 2020. I had planned on this one actually being preached last year, uh, but it ties in very, very well as the first sermon uh, of the new year. Starts off with this question. Have you ever been in line that was moving super, super slow before? You ever been in a line that was moving super slow before? Now, just for the record, what I've noticed is here in D.C see, we hate slow lines maybe worse than anyone in the world, right? Because you've got places to go, people to see, stuff to do. And I'm telling you, that moment when you are trapped in line, I mean, it just feels like an eternity, right? And you can think through all the things that you're losing and all the things that you're missing out on by having to be there in the line. But there are plenty of things that you have to wait in line for here in this city. So I want you to analyze yourself here for just a minute. Some of you are foot tapping people, all right? How do you show this pleasure with being in a long line. Some of you, you tap that foot, right? I mean, I am not going to scream, but I might as well through that tap, tap, tap on the floor. Some of your foot tapping people. Then there are others of you, you're the plan ahead people, right? And so what do you do? You look to the front of the line longingly. You ever done that before? Okay. Some of you are the ones you step out of line just slightly to look and then show the disgust on your face as you get back in line, right? You're looking over there. Some of you, even when you're driving, do that same thing. You get over on the shoulder, look disgusted. And then of course you get back into line. Did that cause the line to move any faster? Absolutely not, but it just felt like you were at least able to do something. Then some of you are lobbyists in this room, all right? Maybe literally or figuratively. And you're the one that if you're in line, you're the talker, and you've got to look at the people around you and be like, can you believe this, right? Can you believe this? Like that makes the line move any faster that you are lobbying everybody else to be just as angry as you are in line. And if you're the lobbyist, the worst thing ever is when you do that and nobody shows any emotion because there's another type of person. Some of you are the stare at the cell phone person, all right? The stare at the cell phone person is a nuclear blast could take a place a few blocks in front of you and you would do just not look up, right? Just stay staring at that cell phone. That's right. I was trained in the urban environment. Don't look up. Don't be surprised. Never look away. Don't let them see you cry. I mean, that's you, right? Okay, always staring at the cell phone. You're not fooling anybody. You're a bottle of rage. We can see it. And then there are some of you type A people in this room. The reason that you live in this city is you're the one standing in line and going through your head the entire time is, you know, if they just did this, 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 and this, the line would be a whole lot faster for everyone. And you have replanned their entire organization while you are standing there in line waiting for your moment. Just for a show of hands, how many of you are that person? There you go. Welcome to DC. Well done. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. All right. Now listen, no matter what, there is not a person on planet Earth that enjoys a slow line. Can I tell you that one more time? There is not a person on planet Earth that enjoys a slow line. In fact, there's some of you in this room that work at the post office. Even the ones behind the counter are not enjoying that the line is moving slow. You realize that, don't you? Now, here's the problem. The problem is nobody likes to move slow. But how many times do we look at God and we look at him like, would you just hurry up? Would you just provide the blessing for me that I've been waiting for? Would you just provide that phase of life that I've been looking for? Would you just provide that job that I've been working towards? And we look at God with that same attitude. But here's a secret for you. God is not slow 
in any way, shape, or form. God is not slow. God is perfect in his timing and perfect in his implementation. And Peter's about to remind us of that. Look at what happens in 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 8 and 9. For any of you struggling with patience, this is a great set of verses to memorize. Are you ready for this? This could change your 2020. Let's look at it. So Peter says this. 2 Peter chapter 3, by the way, the last recorded chapter that Peter will ever write. Look at what he says. But do not forget this one thing. Stop right there for just a minute. In the last chapter that Peter will ever write, he leads in that what he's about to say with, if you can remember one thing, remember this. Look at what he says. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. You ready? With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Verse 9, circle, highlight, and underline. You ready? The Lord is not slow. Underline, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient, what? With you, circle and highlight and underline that little clause there. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What Peter has just done in these two verses is outline a massive, beautiful piece of theology. He looks and says, first of all, right off the bat, your understanding of God is that God is so powerful, he can do the work of the universe in a day. And yet, the patience of God is that to him, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is also like a day. He has the power and the sovereignty to do it with the flare of his nostrils, to do it with the snap of his fingers right there in an instant. And yet, the Lord is patient enough to unfold things 10, 20, 100 generations down the line in and through your life. A thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. He then comes back and says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, but he is patient, what? With you. What I love about this is that Peter lays out for us, when we feel like God is slow, the slowness that we don't understand is actually his patience with you personally so that you can catch up and be ready for the future that God has in store for you, so that you can catch up and be ready for the massive blessing that he is about the dump truck pour into your life that he's about to lavish upon you. If you're taking notes, write this down. God's timing is perfect and his goal is repentance. Let me say that again. God's timing is perfect and his goal is repentance. Notice it says he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why is God patient with us? Peter lays out the heart of God for us as well. God's not just patient to bring you blessings so that you'll be some great amazing creature. God is patient with you because his desire is that you would be saved, that those you love would be saved, and that everyone would have a moment when they could be drawn to repentance. When you look at God and say, hurry up, the Lord scratches his head and goes, I think you've forgotten what this is all about. God revealing his glory is that all of mankind would know that he loved them, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save them, and the desire of God's heart is that everyone would come to repentance. If you're taking notes, this one's worth writing down. Are you ready? It is ridiculous to tell the author of the universe to hurry up. Let me say it again. It is ridiculous to tell the author of the universe to hurry up. And yet, we get so involved in our world sometimes, there are some of you that when the calendar turned over to 2020, it was a moment of great triumph because 2019 was not good, right? 
You are getting a fresh start and a chance to move forward. And I'm telling you, there was great rejoicing with the turning of the calendar because you know there's a fresh set of downs in front of you to go out and to try to conquer uh, this world. And here's the picture. There's some of you on the other side. When you turned over 2019 to 2020, or for some of you who even had a pretty rough decade between 2010 and 2020, maybe you had a moment where all of a sudden it turned over and you went, I am 10 steps behind where I thought I would be at this point. If that's you, God is not slow. He is right on time. His timing is perfect. His plan and his purpose for your life are built to perfection, and he is crafted for you to be exactly where you are supposed to be. So we're going to address this question today. Now flip back over to Genesis 39, and we're going to address the question today, in what areas of your life is God not slow? We're going to look at the life of Joseph because he had to feel that way. Living in prison where he was falsely accused, still serving well, being promoted at every turn that was possible. But Joseph had to feel uh, like, again, maybe the Lord was slow in keeping his promise to him. Now, just for the record, this could be a one-sentence sermon. In what ways of uh, life is God not slow? None of them. He's not slow in any of them. But we're going to look at some specific areas today in Joseph's life that hopefully will connect with you in your process and your life as well. Addressing the question, in what areas of life is God not slow? Let's look at Joseph and look at what happened to him. Recap in Genesis 39, verses 20 through 23. Now remember, Joseph has been falsely accused, and it says in verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, in the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden, so that the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. And he was made responsible, under made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, what I love about this passage that we've just read is Joseph is making lemons out of lemonade at this point, but he's, remember, has been sold into slavery wrongfully by his brothers. He then is resold to a dude named Potiphar, uh, who's one of the officials in Pharaoh's kingdom in Egypt, and then um, he is wrongfully accused by Potiphar's wife uh, that uh, he tried to sleep with her, even though she has basically ripped his clothes off of him, had him run into the street where he's trying to get away from her. Well, all of a sudden, we have this situation where he is thrown into federal prison and he's awaiting. They don't really know what to do with him because there wasn't enough evidence for them to really charge him. So he's serving as a political prisoner until they decide what it is that they're going to do with him. Well, instead of getting angry, what does Joseph do? He grows where he's planted and he just serves and serves and tries to be the best and godly man that he could possibly be. Now, I want you to look very closely at chapter 40, verse 1. The first three words are incredibly important. Are you ready for this? Chapter 40, verse 1. Some time later. Circle, highlight, and underline some time later. Scholars are in agreement this was probably about 10 years that is summed up in these three words. Some time later. Now, I don't know about you, but 10 years of my life 
to be summed up in three words of some time later at face value can be very, very frustrating that you've got the past, the vision that God had given him for his life, that he would one day rule and reign and that he'd be among the stars and over his brothers, them bowing before him to the future of that thing actually taking place. The middle period can be summed up in some time later. At this point, he's in prison. He's in that journey, but you've got to have Joseph at that point going, really, God, are you still there? Really, God, is it going to happen? Really, God, is is it going to be okay? Look at what it says. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Stop right there for just a minute. Sometime later, there are some of you at this point that are sitting there wringing your hands and you're going, Lord, I thought by 2020 I would be at this point in life. But instead, I'm in this weird in-between limbo. I'm in this weird in-between spot. Now, what we know from Joseph's story is he is going to get there 10 times bigger and 10 times stronger than he ever dreamed possible. But sometime later, sometime later can be a really dark place if you have the wrong mindset. If you're taking notes, in what areas of life is God not slow? (laughs) Number one, God is not slow in placing you where you're supposed to be. God is not slow in placing you where you are supposed to be. There are some of you at this point who are sitting there going, I'm working this job and I can't stand it. I'm working this job and I feel like there were other things on the horizon. If I could just get one a shot, if I could just get one promotion, if I could just get a little bit of blessing, if I could just get the ear of someone in power or someone in leadership, then I could finally move up. There's some in this room that go, if I could just get a better roommate, don't point, okay? If I could just get somebody who actually washes the dishes after they cook something, if I could just be in a situation where the person's not playing video games until four o'clock in the morning because they have a different job schedule than I do, if I could just be in this better situation, maybe it could all come together. Remember this, God is not slow in any aspect of life, including where it is that you are located. God has given you everything you need to make it through the day today. Sometimes we can get so frustrated with God and we can think, I just need to go somewhere else. I talk to pastors about this all the time and we found that this is true of anyone in any working situation, but pastors especially. We don't move because of money. Uh, You're not supposed to, right? You don't move because of money. You don't move because of a larger congregation or a bigger group. Um, You move because the Spirit has called you. And so I'll talk to different pastors who'll say, yeah, I'm thinking about making a move, thinking about looking at another church. And then some of you, I'm thinking about taking another job. There's another position on the hill or there's another position with another group or I feel like I could make more money in this spot if I do this. And here's what I always tell people. Know the difference between discontentment and a holy stirring of the Spirit within you. Now listen, when it comes to discontentment, discontentment is characterized by looking over the fence and the grass being greener in other pastures. The problem with discontentment is the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. If you are the type of person that cannot be happy where you are, then when discontentment hits you, then all you're going to do is jump from job to job to job to job, and then you'll never get a great promotion because nobody is going to trust you. You have absolutely no integrity in the job situation that you're in. You've got to learn to deal with discontentment. But listen, but a holy restlessness... 
The restlessness is when you are not defined by your circumstances, but defined by your relationship with Almighty God, when you are in submission to him, in full lordship to him, and then you are able to feel that holy restlessness, that kick of the Holy Spirit that is saying to you, keep your eye on the horizon because something is about to come up and you don't need to get comfortable. God is about to provide for you. Some of you would say, well, that sounds like the same thing. They are vastly different. Discontentment is you feeling like, I feel like something is better for me and I deserve better and I really feel like anywhere but here could provide that. The holy restlessness is the Spirit saying, you can find joy and peace wherever you are in the center of God's will, but don't get comfortable because a change is about to happen. This happened for us when we moved to Lubbock. I'd gone through a really tough situation in Wichita Falls, Texas, and when we got the job in Lubbock, it was a lifeboat to us. I mean, we truly viewed it that way the whole way through. But can I tell you what happened? I felt content in the job. It was my hometown. I love Lubbock. I'm going to tell you a story a little bit later today about how I hated it back when I was graduating from college. But man, then we'd come to a point where we loved our hometown. We loved Lubbock, loved the people there and the churches we got to serve in. But here's what happened. All of a sudden, about two years in, there was this holy restlessness because we had had great contentment in the church we were in, but the restlessness was the Spirit reminding us, keep your eye on the ball. The vision that I gave you more than 10 years ago, I'm going to bring to fruition in your life, and that holy restlessness was the reminder, even though you could stay here, even though you love it here, even though you're raising your kids and your family here, I've got something that I've held you out for on the other side. Know the difference between discontentment and that holy restlessness. Some of you got another job opportunity on the horizon. Is it interesting to look at because it strokes your ego? Is it interesting to look at because you feel like anywhere but here is good? Is it good to look at because you're in love and infatuated with the new? Or are you content and do you feel a holy restlessness that maybe, just maybe, God's got something that he is preparing you for that you don't need to miss? If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? If it's time to move, the Spirit will move you. Let me say that again. If it's time to move, the Spirit will move you. But you got to figure out and do an honest self-inventory as 2020 starts. Am I doing this because of a holy restlessness? Or is there discontentment in my life that needs to be dealt with? Think back about the bad decisions you've made. And I promise you, you can draw a correlation to bad job situations you jumped into, to bad relationships you jumped into, to bad life situations that you jumped headlong into. And there is a direct connection to, again, discontentment guiding the ship rather than you finding a way to settle in and wait for the Spirit's moving, wait for the Spirit's leading. So back in the day, Lubbock was not always a point of great power for us. At one point, it was actually a point where I wanted to go anywhere but there. I found one of my old journals, and I had written it my senior year in college. Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to go except Lubbock, Texas. That's what I wrote down. Lubbock was my hometown. It's where I grew up. I'd been, working, I'd been living and working in Stillwater, Oklahoma, waiting tables for four years at the great restaurant of Red Lobster, which, by the way, was my first meal of 2020. Uh, my mother-in-law sent us a gift card, and I made sure that was my first meal of 2020 was a fried shrimp, Walt's favorite fried shrimp there at Red Lobster. It was delicious. Anyway, all that to say, so I'd written in my journal, Lord, I'll move anywhere but to Lubbock. Now, here's what I've noticed. If you tell God you'll go anywhere except one place, 
Usually that's where he sends you. Now, psychologically, can I tell you how that works? Because if you have said, I'll go anywhere but there, that is your brain of saying, I know that that's probably where God wants me to go, all right? So if, doesn't mean you have to go there, but if you ever do that, take a real hard look at why you've said that, and there's probably a connection to it. All that to say, I said, Lord, I'll go anywhere but Lubbock, Texas. And I wrote down in my journal, Lord, I feel like you have blessing waiting for me at this next phase of my life. And I wrote in my journal, I feel like the blessing of the person I'll be with for the rest of my life is waiting on this other side. That wasn't a, 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 a self-fulfilling prophecy, fake it till you make it. Lord, I'm gonna say it till it comes true. I truly felt like that in my heart that this was about to happen. I also felt like I was supposed to I'd jump in and, and find a job in ministry. I could see it on the horizon on the other side, but I'm trapped in that time of some time later, the way that God would get me there. So I prayed and I said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And the Lord said three words, go to Lubbock. I'd gotten an opportunity. My grandmother and granddad, my granddad was sick, staying at UMC Hospital for about a month with an infection that he had gotten. So my grandparents said, just move up here and you can live on our couch for a month. And I was like, okay, I can do that. They lived right in the center of town. Not only that, John Strapazon uh, had called me. He was the college minister at First Baptist Church in Lubbock. And he had said, hey, come and I'll disciple you. And he said, uh, you can serve under my ministry. And he said, I'll teach you how to disciple people. And he said, we'll, we'll let you lead a Bible study. Now, just for the record, I was like, how much does that pay? And he was like, nothing. Uh, but if you want to come and hang out, you can do that. Wait tables. And he goes, maybe it'll open up into a job at some point. So I said, okay, that sounds great. Well, then I also went on a couple of dates with a girl named Emily who came to my graduation. We'd gone on a couple of dates and she also lived in Lubbock. And so I'm thinking to myself, maybe this is all gonna fall into place. All right, Lord, if you want me to go to Lubbock, I'll go to Lubbock. And I entered into that sometime later period. I remember I arrived at Lubbock. I'd been there a month and Emily broke up with me my granddad got better, and my grandmother said lovingly, it's time for you to move off of our couch and find your own place. And then John Strapazon promptly resigned after 10 years serving as the college minister. And then, get this, he took the job as the head of collegiate ministries for the state of Oklahoma. He went to the place that I had just come from, all right? And I'm telling you, I'm sitting there, and I'm in this moment of going, Lord, why? All I've got left is Red Lobster. That's it. That's it. I got Red Lobster and a timeline on my grandparents' couch. What am I supposed to do here? And I'm telling you, in that moment, some of you are there. In that moment of some time later, you know that there's going to be an after for this moment, and there certainly has been a before. But you're trapped in this weird limbo in between. And the goal of God is that you would be faithful during those times that you would trust him, that he has something on the horizon, that you would believe in his sovereignty, that he is fashioning something, that he has built from the beginning of time, that God has not forgotten you, and that he has placed you exactly where you are supposed to be. One year later, Autumn and I would be married. Less than a year from that moment, when it seemed like everything was so bleak, I would have a full-time job in ministry where I could actually start paying off those student loans. I'm telling you, it was amazing. What God had in store was so special. But the sometime later in the middle of the journey, it develops this amazing story and cultivates a gratitude within you that you not only can see the hand of God at work, but you can also thank him 
for the hardship that you endured so that you could become who you were meant to be. If you're taking notes, a little question here for you. Are you tapping your foot when you should be watching the horizon? Are you tapping your foot when you should be watching the horizon? Instead of telling God to hurry up, to move you to where you're supposed to be, God is not slow. God is not forgetful. God knows what he has in store for you. Now look at what happens next. Look at Genesis chapter 40, and let's read verses one through four. It says, now sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker and the king of Egypt defended their master, the king of Egypt. It says, Pharaoh was angry with his two officials and the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in the custody uh, in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Look at verse four. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph. And he attended to them. Stop right there for just a minute. When two political prisoners show up, one of whom we later find out is wrongfully accused, guess what happens? The captain of the guard goes, whoa, you know who's really lived with integrity when they were falsely accused? It's our guy Joseph over here, my second in command. So what does he do? He assigns a relationship to Joseph of these two individuals that maybe, just maybe, they'll live with integrity the same way that he has. If you're taking notes, write this down. What are some areas of life where God is not slow. Number one, in placing you where you're supposed to be. And number two, in bringing you relationships. In bringing you relationships. The cupbearer and the baker are going to be Joseph's fast track to the right hand of Pharaoh. But in this moment, he can't know that. In this moment, he's just doing what he does and trying to live with integrity day after day. There are some of you in this room, and 2020 was a reminder that that forever relationship has not shown up yet. Can I tell you the good news here with Joseph? Joseph was still called to serve and to live faithfully with great integrity, whether he was with that forever person, with that fast-track person, or whether he was living for God as someone who was in between during that sometime later period. You are to be faithful in all you do, and God in his time will provide those relationships. God in his time will give you exactly what you need. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? All you need to accomplish God's will for your day is within your reach. Let me say that again. All you need to accomplish God's will for your day is within your reach. So some of you have noticed this already. I have very short arms, okay? I have very short arms. So back in the day, we'd work at camps, and when we worked at camps, there was what they called the fingertip rule on shorts, okay? So you could have shorts, but they had to be longer than your fingertips. I could wear a bikini. Do you see this? Okay? They would call me a Tyrannosaurus in football. I got just these little little arms, you know what I mean? Just, it's just how I'm built. I'm all torso. It's the reason I'm five foot nine, but when I sit down, I sit six five. I mean, it's just the way it goes. And anytime I sit next to somebody on a plane, they're always like, man, you're such a big guy. And I stand up and they're like, you're built like a chicken. You know what I mean? I really am. I got these little chicken legs and this huge chicken torso. Anyway, all that to say. So my wife is the opposite. My wife has a tiny torso and long arms and long legs. So in our house, one person gets to decide where all the condiments are put in the kitchen, okay? And she was that person. And so all the stuff is up so high, she can just reach it. And I'm, I have to go get the little kitchen chairs, you know, 
bring them in there and climb up like I'm five years old. I mean, my kids can reach higher than I can, okay? I just got these little stubby arms. The feeling, thank you. Thank you for carrying the pain with me. Now listen, if you're like me, when something is out of reach, it's frustrating, right? When you can't reach it, it's frustrating. And every time I do that, I mean, this is a little into my psyche. Every time I have to pull the kitchen chairs in there to come and get something from up high, the first thing that comes to my mind is I'm like, why did she put it up so high? You know what I mean? Why is it just out of reach? Why do I have to pull the chair in and do that? Why do I have to put the stool in here to do that? And nobody else has to do that. And we do that with God, don't we? When we feel like the relationships when we feel like the networking connections, when we feel like that forever relationship is just out of reach and you watch other people take hold of it, you watch other people grab it, all of a sudden you have that feeling where it's just like, Lord, why I was built at a disadvantage? Lord, why it seems like everybody else is able to reach that, everyone else is able to get that, but for some reason, I am not to. God has given you everything that you need to fulfill his will for your life today, amen? He's given you everything that you need to fulfill his will for your life. Everything you need is within your reach this very day. So in the midst of trying to live for the Lord, after I'd been broken up with, I needed a place to live, and um, I was in a situation where Strap was moving, and there was no ministry job on the horizon after that. I'll never forget, I began to pray again, Lord, what do you want me to do? And instead of hearing, go to Lubbock, or instead of hearing, stay the course, I heard nothing. God was silent or seemingly silent in those moments. And I'm sitting there going, Lord, but why? I need your direction. I need your wisdom. I need a word from you that I can cling to. Anytime you pray and you hear silence in that moment, it's the Lord saying, I'm cheering you on. Just stay at it. Just stay at it. And when you're supposed to move, I'll let you know. The Spirit will kick you. When you're supposed to make a move, when you're supposed to, uh, to step forward, when you're supposed to do something, I'll let you know. But otherwise, just stay the course. So that was into January. I've got one thing on the books at that point. There was a mission trip we were doing, a construction mission trip to California with about 300 college kids from Lubbock, Texas. So I'll never forget, I've got that on the docket, but because I'm waiting tables, if I don't wait tables, then I don't make any money. So I had to spend time saving up money to cover that stretch, and then you also had to memorize a whole bunch of verses to be able to go on this trip. So I memorized the verses, and I just made the decision. I was gonna keep doing what I was doing, be content, until God gave me another step. Now, just for the record, I was waiting tables with a degree. Some of you know it's hard to be content when you feel like you deserve something better. The end of the story is, all of a sudden I met this amazing girl named Autumn, a woman who had become my wife. 15 years of marriage we'll celebrate on the 15th of this month. Now listen, I meet Autumn, and on that mission trip, that was really where we went from, we'd gone on like a date or two, to all of a sudden we were so in love, and then listen, our first kiss was in front of my grandparents' house right after the mission trip was over. I was driving her back to her car, and that was the first kiss that we ever had. Now listen, God had so many great things on the horizon, and during some time later, that was where I was stationary, and he could bring those blessings to me. There are some of you in this room that forget that. I gotta go, go, go. I gotta do, do, do. 
If the Lord ever tells you stay put, then he has got something he's about to bring to you. Keep your eyes on the horizon and watch for those relationships. So while we were on that mission trip, that mission trip would end up changing my life. Not only did Autumn and I get connected, but while we were on the trip, I had foolishly parked my car in downtown Lubbock and left it there for several days while we were on the trip. I drove a 1993 Ford Explorer, and someone had busted the back windows out, stolen my factory stereo out of the car, all right? It was an FM factory stereo, that old Ford factory stereo. They stole the stereo and a box with my Red Lobster shirts in it. They had stolen my work shirts, which are 40 bucks each if you had to go back and buy another one. So I've lost my work shirts, I've lost that stuff, and I'll never forget, it's Wednesday of the mission trip, and the head of the trip comes up, a guy named Dean Johnson. Dean comes up and he goes, young man, we just got word someone broke into your car. He goes, if you'd like, I can announce it to the group. He said, maybe they'll take a collection for you. He goes, you shouldn't have left your car up there, man. He goes, but this, this is just a, just a tough deal. And I'll never forget, I'm 21 years old. And I looked at him and I go, it's okay. I said, don't ask for help. I said, uh, I just want to serve. I just want to work. Let me keep my focus on that so that everybody doesn't talk to me about that. We can focus on the Lord's work. It was actually a very adult thing to say <laughs> at 21. He looks at me and he's like, all right, you're turning down free money, kid, you know? And I said, it's okay. The Lord's going to take care of it. I had the best week. Oh, my goodness. It was so awesome. We would work all morning doing construction work, building a baptistry and building a stage where the word of God was going to be preached. And then in the evening, we'd do worship services for two and three hours, just getting to serve and worship and call out to God. And then later in the evenings, I would go to Autumn's room and we'd meet down front and we would play spades all night. Like we were spades players back then. So we'd sit and we'd play spades and just had a great time playing cards all night. Then you'd get up and do it again. The next day was the most wonderful, refreshing week. So much fun, even though we were so exhausted. Well, after the trip is over, I had tried to serve well. And what we didn't know is that they were looking to hire some interns in the church. So Dean Johnson then, hearing that they were looking for an intern, said, you know, this Randall's kid served really well this week on mission trip. That was middle of March. April 1st, and some of you know how big a deal April 1st is to me, I got hired as an intern at the church because of the work that I did two weeks before on the mission trip. They recommended me to be the intern of pastoral care. I did the nursing home and the hospital visits up there at the church. It was crazy. God opened up my first ministry internship because of what had taken place there. Not only that, but I needed a place to live. I'd been bumming around on couches. And all of a sudden, there was a young man who had flunked out of school there at Tech. His dad was a lawyer in the Houston area. And the dad called up to the church and said, we've got nine more months on my son's lease. He said, is there anyone with a heart for ministry that could take this lemon of a situation and turn it into lemonade? Is there anybody who needs a place to live? Because he was a lawyer's kid in Houston, a big law firm, it was a $950 a month apartment. They called and said, we think Zach needs a place to live in the middle of March. And I got nine months free rent until Autumn and I got married. And we got to live, or I got to live in a really nice apartment right there all by myself. It was amazing. And God had it waiting. It's the reason for some of you. You'll come up and say, I'm at a really tough point in my life. And we try to lavish love on people in our church because we know sometimes you're just in a rough spot and you just need somebody to step up and say, I believe that God is still for you and doing powerful things in and through your life. All that to say, that moment, the Lord stood up for me. He took care of me. 
and all of a sudden I could see I got on the other side of the mountain. I got to the other side on what God had waiting for me. He brings you the relationships when you're ready to have those relationships. God does not put good things just out of reach. If you're taking notes, a little question here for you. Do you properly view the relationships God has, has given you? Do you properly view the relationships God has given you? There's some of you in this room, and you treat great gifts from God and the people that he's given you like junk. Can I just say it that way? You treat wonderful blessings like absolute junk because you have become infatuated with what's on the other side of the fence. You become infatuated with what could be. And the truth is, discontentment is stealing your blessing. It is stealing your joy. When the truth is, we need to wait for the holy restlessness. Now, that doesn't mean if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with, all right? What I'm telling you is, if you are at a point where you are constantly looking over to the other side of the fence at how great life will be, then you are missing out on the joy of this moment. You are missing out on the journey that God is fashioning for you. Now, one last set of verses, and we'll close today. Look at verses four and five again together. It says, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended to them. Now, look at this. After they had been in his custody, look at this, for some time. Circle and highlight for some time. Each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, each of them had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. Stop right there for just a minute. What we have here on the very front end of this is that Joseph meets these two men that will end up springboarding him into the future. But God does not create that relationship immediately to cause change. For some time is not just while you're waiting to meet the person that you'll be with forever or waiting to meet the relationships that you'll have that are going to springboard you to the next level. But sometimes after you've met them, there's a holding pattern where then all of a sudden a miracle will happen and they become that person who they were always supposed to be with you. If you're taking notes, our last point here today, in what areas of life is God not slow? Number one, in placing you where you're supposed to be. Number two, in bringing you relationships. And number three, in bringing a miracle. In bringing your miracle. God is not slow in bringing your miracle. He's been around these two men, but all of a sudden, that night, they have the dream. Everything is different, both for these men and for Joseph, after the miracle night when they have the dream that we're going to talk about this next week. Joseph has to be consistent. Joseph has to be faithful. Joseph has to be godly and live with integrity. And then they will trust him with their deepest secrets then they will trust him to help guide in their spiritual journey. If you're taking notes, write this down. Consistent godliness, integrity, and trustworthiness pave the way for honest spiritual conversations. Consistent godliness, integrity, and trustworthiness pave the way for honest spiritual conversations. In the story of Joseph, he has to come to a point when he has lived with integrity, so much so, whether the payoff comes or not, He's got to come to a point where he's lived with such integrity that then when God shows up, then the cupbearer and the baker are willing to trust him because they know he will have spiritual insight. One last little story, and we'll call it a day today. 
One of my favorite movies, got to watch it over the break, is called The Pursuit of Happiness. Did y'all see that one? Will Smith back in the day. Uh, you had like 20 years to see it, so I'm gonna spoil it for you, okay? I love the movie, it's a great movie. In The Pursuit of Happiness, Will Smith has been working as a salesperson, but he's always wanted to be a stockbroker, and in the movie, he's got a point that he wants to get to, he's got a point that he's starting from, and then the whole movie is his sometime later journey. Makes for a great, a great setup in different movies. And do you remember, Will Smith's goal is that one day he wants to be in New York in the pack of people in suits. He just wants to be one of the guys, one of the faces in the crowd that's walking through, uh, that's walking with all the people through. He said, just one day want that to be me, walking from home to work right there in the suit, living the American dream, right? And do you remember? All these horrible, awful things happened to him. I mean, it is such a depressing movie up until the last 10 minutes, you know what I mean? The whole thing is just so brutal, and you watch it. There's one scene, and the scene when he's in the subway bathroom with his son, that's actually his son in real life, too. I mean, you're watching the scene. Remember the bathroom scene? He's in there in the subway bathroom. They don't have any place to stay, and he's propped his leg up against the door. He's holding his son, and you watch the tear well up in Will Smith's eye and fall down his cheek. Now, I I don't know what Will Smith went through for that moment to be so authentic, but you cannot act that without having gone through it in one form or fashion. I mean, you watch the tear come up, it falls down his cheek, and he's holding the door closed as someone's trying to push in so that he can just have a place to sleep that night as he runs and pursues his dream. It's just this heavy, heavy moment. You're watching him. He's trapped in some time later, but as he fights forward, here's what's happening. Gratitude is being cultivated into him so that when you get to the final scene of the movie, when he finally gets the job, he finally achieves his goal. He passes through sometime later to the moment where he becomes who he was made to be. Do you remember the scene? Will Smith cries ugly and he claps like this as he's walking through the crowd. It's this most incredible, beautiful moment because gratitude, this genuine gratitude has filled him because of the journey that he went on to get to that point. Now, some of you would say that's just a movie. It was also David. When David finally gets to the point where he wants to do the day of God's inauguration, do you remember that story in 2 Samuel? It says he takes off his kingly robes. Sometimes we get so focused on him taking off the robes, we forget what that was for. David takes off the robes, and it says he dances with all his might before the Lord. You know what the picture was there? David had seen God save him through every awful circumstance, through every difficult opportunity, and what he says is, I'm taking off the kingly robes because today I ain't the king. Today I'm I'm just a worshiper and a genuine thankful person on behalf of Almighty God. I'm taking off my kingly robes. I am leaving my station to worship with all my might before the Lord. It's so powerful. He cries ugly Will Smith style right there in the middle of all those people. When you wait for God's miracle and then all of a sudden it shows up, you come to a point where you are so genuinely thankful that it's contagious to the rest of the world around you. It's David screaming, I'm so grateful that God let me live. I am so grateful that God fulfilled his promise. I am so grateful that I even have the ability to be kind to Saul's family. I am so grateful that he has provided for me in this moment that you clap and you cry ugly because God was good to you. It begs the question today, do you trust the Lord's timing? It's perfect. He cannot be late. Do you trust the Lord's timing? Or are you the one shaking your fist at him saying, hurry up. I got a schedule to make. 
Hurry up, I got a life plan that I put together. Hurry up, I got people to see. I've got jobs to take. I've got stuff to do. And the Lord's looking at you going, if you just be content and stay put, I've got all sorts of things on the horizon. Do you trust God's timing? As we turn the page on the calendar, I couldn't think of an easier way. This was, I'm telling you, I had this plan to preach last year, and the Lord wanted this for the first lesson of the year. Let's trust God's timing, and let's see if this year it doesn't end up one, being one of our best that we've ever had. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, we call this our time of reflection. Nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anybody here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I'm right where I'm supposed to be. It's time that I was content in my job situation. It's time that I'm content in my living situation with nobody looking around but just me, if you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? I'm content in my, I want to be content in my current situation where I am. With nobody looking but just me, I just want to pray for you. If that's you making that claim today, if you just lift your hand where you are right now. It's powerful. It's powerful. Y'all can put your hands down. So many of you, maybe half the room. This city tells you that discontentment is good. A holy restlessness, listening to the Spirit is good. Discontentment only steals your joy and peace in the moment. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you. But your prayer is very simple. Just pray this simple prayer. God, I trust you. You are not late. Just pray that simple prayer. God, I trust you. You are not late. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I've been tapping my foot waiting for that forever relationship. I've been tapping my foot waiting for that perfect networking opportunity. And the truth is, I am claiming today, I have everything I need, everyone I need. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me, pray that I would trust the Lord to bring me those relationships in his time. With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, if you just lift your hand where you are right now, ready, set, go. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down, so many of you. Your prayer is the exact same prayer that we prayed a moment ago. God, I trust you. You are not late. Pray that prayer and struggle to mean it with your whole heart. God, I trust you, and you are not late. And then last but not least, Maybe there are some of you in here that would say, Zach, I need a miracle. And really, I need it to happen now. But I'm willing to trust God for his timing. With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. I need a miracle. But I trust God to do it in his timing. If that's you, if you just lift your hand where you are right now, ready, set, go. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. If that's you, you know the drill. Pray, God, I trust you. You are not late. God, I trust you. You are not late. The Lord is not going to leave you like a kid on the side of the road whose parents didn't show up after school. The Lord loves you so much. He has not forgotten you. 
and he will take care of you. I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you for the opportunity that we've had to study your word. Thank you for the example that we have from Joseph. Lord, if we are in a time of some time later, and all of us are at one point or another, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that the cry of our heart would be, God, I trust you. You are not late. Wrap your arms around us today. I pray that you would give a double portion of courage. And Lord, we cannot wait to see the fulfillment of these promises. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.